Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of SA Voices from the Field. Each week we aim to bring you the true stories of student affairs. Over the course of this podcast, we hope to bring you both voices that feel like they are telling your own story and those that bring you stories you've never heard before. The podcast with expert guests and practical advice. Get ready to learn and become the best higher ed professional you can be. Welcome to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. I'm your host, Dr. Corliss Bennett, and I am so happy to have you here today. This podcast is sponsored by NASPA. Now, today we have another exciting topic, and I'm excited to have Anthony and Teresa of Lynn University on the uh, podcast. Hello, people. Hi, Dr. Bennett. How are you? I'm good. Let's just jump right in, shall we? Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you, then we'll find out a little bit about your institution. Sounds good. So, well, first off, thanks for having us, uh, Dr. Bennett. We appreciate the opportunity. Uh, my name is Dr. Anthony Altieri. I am the Vice President for Student Affairs here at Lynn University. I've been in the field for about 20 years. I came up through the ranks of housing and finally got to the point where I wanted to transition to something new. And I went to student conduct, which kind of goes hand in hand with housing. And then eventually followed my path right here to to this position. I've been at Lynn for 13 years and 13 great ones. You know, we've, we've come a long ways as an institution. I feel like we're really making some some significant progress in terms of engaging our students. And I'm just excited to be here to, to help share some of that perspective. Teresa? Absolutely. I'll jump right in. Thanks again for having us, Dr. Bennett. My name is Dr. Teresa Gallo, and I'm the Associate Dean of Students here at Lynn University. I oversee the Center for Student Involvement, which is most of our engagement points, our housing and residence life, as well as our newly designed Wellness Resource Center. I've been here at Lynn about seven years now. I started as a director of student involvement and moved up those ranks. Uh, Prior to here, I was over at St. John's University in Staten Island, New York, for about five years working in campus activities. Wonderful. I hear one of the best ways, I should say, in in moving in the ranks of student affairs is either through housing Mm -hmm. or through admissions. And I think because those two positions really um, expose you to the whole campus per se. And, and, and especially housing. I, and usually folks in housing mm-hmm. have moved through student conduct exactly. somehow because you're dealing with that. <laughs> I mean, and Teresa, you're dealing with it by ha- being over it as well as dealing with all the student conduct situations. So, so once you've had a touch of student conduct, then it's like you can do anything. I completely agree. Absolutely. I, I, I think back to, and I loved my housing experience because you're right. It gives you a, a taste of all these key functions that we end up uh, dealing with in, in student affairs. And then I made that transition to student conduct and it was just, it was, it was less gray. You know, now you're dealing with you know, policies and, and holding students accountable, but in a, an educational positive manner, which I always thought was a, a unique relationship to have with the student. But I, I feel like that, you know, to your point, Dr. Bennett, it really does prepare you for the high level things that, that you'll end up experiencing as a, as a, a dean or associate dean or a vice president. I, I feel like it, it sets a good foundation. Absolutely. Now, is, is the office there called Student Conduct or does it have this fancy name? 
Because I know I went back at USC where I worked for 20 years. It, we, you know, they changed it to student judicial affairs and community standards. What is all of that? What, I mean, I'm just, you know, we were in a meeting and we were like, just say student conduct. But I guess it makes it pretty or I should say it makes it sexy as the students say. Well, I think, it, you know, because we, we call the office here uh, student conduct and community standards. And kind of the thought process behind that, we're a small institution. You know, we are, you know, 3,000 students overall, 2,200 of them are our undergraduate. And when you think about the resources and, and how we wanted to kind of create this this culture on our campus where we hold students accountable but educate them in a positive manner, not only do you have can you do that in the conduct setting where you're actually having those formal conversations around a policy violation, but if we had people and this was really our strategy in hiring people who really understood that you have to help set the expectation for students to meet the expectation. And, you know, you can't just say, here's a bunch of policies on paper, good luck. It's a matter of having those those continuous conversations and really kind of role modeling the behavior, but also engaging in that that, that ongoing dialogue with students so they kind of understand where where you want them to, to be so that they can progress as individuals. No, absolutely. And I think the the underlying thing is the whole, you know, teaching moment. And that's where that that's where that that's why they make it so pretty, you know, judicial and such and such. And so it's like, here's a teachable moment. And I also worked as a appeal committee when a student felt like the sanctions were just too harsh and I'm going to appeal it. And then we always tell them we can add to it, too. We can subtract, but we can also add. And I've also I've, I've definitely added to some of and they didn't like that. So I guess the I guess the word got out because we stopped getting cases. The word got out. You know what? Just take what you get, because whoever's on that I'm like, Mm-mm, you, you need to write an essay. You need to do a a, a, for, a formal presentation to the campus. You know, I'm just like, hey. Well, I think it's, it's such a, a powerful learning moment. Yeah, you know I mean, when you stop and think about student conduct, and I'm so passionate about it because I did spend so many years of my career in it. But it's, you know, I always found those to be the most rewarding conversations. I think back to, you know, I'll never forget, I worked as a, um, a conduct, like the, the, the chief judicial officer at St. John Fisher College in Rochester, New York. And then I wised up from the cold and the snow and moved to, to the south. But um, when I was—I remember sitting in my office one day and I had the student come knock on my door. I vaguely recognized him, and he's standing there. He said, "Hey, can I talk to you for a second? I was like, oh, "Of course." So he comes. He's like, "I just want to say thank you." I was like, "Okay, well, you're welcome, but what for?" And he said, I, "I don't know if you remember this, but you suspended me a couple years ago for for drug use, and if you hadn't done that, I would never have taken." control of what I felt was my spiraling life at that time and that's when you get those chills and that's when you know you've done the right thing for the right you know for the right moment for that student and you know and that just you know kind of reinforces the fact that you have so much ability to to really transform a student's experience and and sometimes their life and that that moment for me was one of those those light bulb moments. And see, and this goes right into the topic in the sense of student using student conduct and using housing to reach those under engaged students. But first, tell us where in the South. You didn't tell us where Lynn. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Lynn's in uh, beautiful Boca Raton, Florida, which is halfway between Fort Lauderdale and West Palm Beach. So it's, it's hot here year round, but I love it every second of it. But yeah, we are, like I said uh, earlier, a smaller institution, 3000 overall. Uh, that's including our graduate and online populations. You know, the unique thing about Lynn and the, the thing that, that I think I fell in love with when I set foot on this campus is not only the, the beautiful location, but I think the 
the the dynamics of our campus population. You know, we have students who are incredibly intelligent and incredibly capable of succeeding um, anywhere they they wish to go in 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 the country in terms of uh, seeking their higher education. But we also have students who are are underengaged, have some higher risk, and I think that we've done a, a nice job of providing academic uh, support and social support to really give the students the opportunity to be successful. I think another key thing for us is that we're 25% international, you know, from almost 100 different countries. And that creates such a, a unique, uh, diverse community, not only in the classroom, but socially in the residence halls and, you know, at events and so on and so forth. So it's been a pretty amazing uh, work environment, you know, and it has really challenged me as a professional to really think through the avenues in which how do we truly engage students and meet them at their level, not only development, but their, their understanding. So it's been a pretty cool experience for me. 20, and that's, um, that you must be one of the top five or ten universities that have a twenty five percent international. Yeah, we are in the yeah in the South. Yeah, we consistently rank in the top five. Yeah, and that's interesting how people think that the South is Florida because to me I think of it Alabama, Mississippi. You know, well, Florida's kind of its own country, but yeah. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. And then you also talked about you have a few grad students and their location. And, and, and is that considered an urban area as a suburban area? Yeah, we're more suburban. We're kind of plopped right in the middle of Boca Raton and Boca is pretty well developed. So, yeah, we're kind of you know right in the, in the middle of the town. Everything kind of you know surrounds us. So we're kind of landlocked in terms of our location. But we are just a, a one campus facility operation. And so we're, we're lucky in that regard because things are centralized things are here and we have a good rapport not only with our local community but you know obviously internally on our campus whereas we talk about strategies to engage students because like i said it's such a broad lens for us i think we're able to to make things happen relatively quickly and a lot of is you know and i think dr gallo can speak to this a little bit is really forming the relationships across campus to to really identify the things that are, are critically important to the students experience okay well why don't we let her dive right into that I'll say that um, being on this campus, it, you know, you're you're just a couple steps away from different offices. It's it's one campus, and, and it's really nice to be centrally located in that sense. Um, the new university center was just opened, and it's right at the heart of campus. And it houses some of our student affairs offices, student involvement. It houses our social impact lab upstairs. It houses our dining commons. It was strategically placed here so this way students knew that this is where they were coming to eat, to, to get engaged, to talk to different people. Um, and I thought it was an amazing thing that they strategically placed it here um, in the middle of campus because then that also provided the staff that worked in this building access to the people in the building and around the building pretty quickly. Um, I'll tell you, working um, on the engagement side, we're talking of people outside of student affairs. We're looking at academic affairs. We're talking to the Career Center. Our Career Center is actually housed in academic affairs. Our International Student Services is also housed in the academic side. Um, you know, working with information technology was critical as well when we were looking at you know, tracking and, and how to gain better, better data and what that would look like. And so it's the awesome part also is that all of our staff, you know, it's a family feel here. We all want our students to succeed. And so whether they work in IT, they're working in marketing, they're working in admissions, everyone is here at the, you know, at the end of the day to support our students and make sure that they walk across that stage to get that graduation. Yeah. And Dr. Gell, I would, I would add, you know, the, the centralization piece that you brought up, I think is so important. And one of the things that, that, that Dr. Gell and I really focused our energies on several years ago was really 
removing roadblocks for students to succeed? Because I think that what happens in any organization, whether you're a large institution, small institution, it doesn't really matter. We tend to sometimes get in our own ways in terms of creating processes and procedures that, that sometimes students can't jump high enough when it comes to the hoops that, that we set for them. And so one of the things that we really focused on was kind of trimming all that and, and centralizing things, such as in our Center for Student Involvement. We knew that we had all these functional areas that really were touch points for students, and we wanted to, to, to bring it to one spot so students could go to one space and then get connected and filtered uh, in, uh, from that point, which I think has been pretty successful for us. You know, as we, we you know track our data and whatnot, we find you know of our about 2,200 undergraduate students, we're pretty good at capturing a good good chunk of them. You know, almost I think last semester we engaged with 108, or I'm sorry, 1,800 unique students of the 2,200 student population. So yes, we still have some work to do, but I think that you know we've captured a good chunk. So now that the question is, how do you go from that point where you you centralize things and capture the students that 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 you can? to create an awareness to those, you know, four or 500 that haven't connected with you yet. And I think that that's an important thing. And I think to, you know, part of the conversation needs to be, how do you help them understand a, the value of what you're trying to, to get them to invest in? Usually it's themselves and then how to, to have a transformative experience. And then two, how to actually make it, I don't want to say easy, but easy, you know, for them to to take this in addition to all the other stuff that they have as a student, you know, getting to class, you know, meeting those classroom expectations, sometimes, you know, jobs and financial constraints and so on and so forth, and, and figuring out a strategy that works for them so that they can be engaged and feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And if we can get them to that point, we find that their success and the potential for them to retain at the institution significantly rises. Yeah, one of the things that um, um, I think about this is um, from my dissertation, um, Tinto's model of retention, which I, I, I like to vision or it's visioned as a triangle with you have retention on the top and then you're on to the left, you have social integration and to the right, you have academic integration. And no matter where you start on that triangle, it connects the other two. So when a student, so in, 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 in essence for this subject matter, you know, when a student is socially integrated, they tend to enjoy themselves more. They feel like they have a sense of belonging. And so therefore they'll go to class, which then, you know, goes to that other point of the triangle. You know, now you're in, involved in your class. You might join the chemistry club because of what you were doing socially and you have now an academic club. But then what happens, it all points back to retention. All of our institutions have an orientation program. Um, some, um, I, I worked, like I said, I worked at USC and that's University of Southern California. I know people get, don't know what it is on the other side of the Mississippi. So I always have to say Southern California, the real USC fight on. And I've got colleagues out there that I know right now are giving the victory symbol. But anyway, you know, some institutions have a orientation program that's spread across the summer and others will have an orientation that's the week before classes. And I know that's always been an issue at USC and other schools, which way, you know, works. And at some, and at some schools, one works like the week before, which I kind of agree with because you're right there. You're not in classes just yet, but you're introducing them to what could be their social integration. And then they're like, oh, you know, and it's, and, and it's like, okay, and you have time to process it. Dealing with orientation, bringing in, choosing your classes and how you can do both and, and the time, you know, the whole 
I call it work balance, but in this case, school balance for students. And then school starts Monday. I just feel like a student to me. I, you know, what, what's your what, what is the way you guys do your orientation there at Lynn? We do the one week right before school, that same weekend. Uh, so we don't do it over the summer. However, we've we've kind of created a, a beast of itself called the new student transitional program. So we've moved away from just calling it orientation. We have um, our Lynn launch, which is our pre-orientation program that's offered in the summer that's opt-in. Okay, so that the students are, are told this is a, an opportunity for them to come to, get to see the campus. We do it on our campus. We do two weekends, about 50 to 60 students each time. And so our incoming class is, you know, uh, around 800 students. And so this uh, provides an opportunity for 120 to 150 students to come to campus and see the campus, walk the campus, go through some transitional programs. But then everyone's on the ground during welcome weekend. We do uh, something called check-in where I'm sure everyone does check in, but our check in's interesting here. I've done orientation at other institutions. What we do is we transform our athletic gym into a one-stop shop where our students come in and take care of everything and anything that they need to take care of to make sure they have everything ready before they start school. So whether it's housing assignments, picking up their key, picking up their ID cards, um, making sure that their their balances are paid with student financial services, parking, all of that. And so it really shows the student that, you know, we're here to support you to make sure you have what you need um, right here in the one spot. We then transition into our international orientation, which is typically about a day and a half of programming talking about transitioning to school in the U.S. And then we go into our all-student welcome weekend program, which is about two and a half days long as well. Again, all different types of, you know, materials are being provided to them. But then we realize that it doesn't just end there. Uh, You know, we know studies have shown the first six weeks are critical for those students. And so what we've done is we've designed the first 40. And so this is an area where... For the first 40 days, you know, all of campus, which means all different departments are sponsoring programs geared to the success of the students. So whether it's, you know, how to navigate the university, whether it's just how to change a class or, you know, speak to your academic advisor to how to use the the wireless. You know, sometimes they have devices that they're having trouble getting in. So information technology will sponsor some things. We also have a lot of, um, you know, different platforms that they're using. So whether it's Canvas or what, we'll have lots of different um, programs there. And then Student Affairs is also heavily involved in those programs in offering the different experiences that they can get connected to. So whether it's student clubs at the involvement fair, you know, we've really looked at our new student transitional program overarching and we've infused a curriculum there. And so it really is based on the self-esteem, willpower and accountability of our students. And so all of our programming is geared to those three things because we've realized that if you had those three things, you'd be much more successful here. And so um, we've been very fortunate. Uh, I think we're already in our, our fourth or fifth year now, um, and we're actually gearing up to do it all over again at the end of this month, which is exciting. And so that's what our orientation, you know, slash welcome weekend transitional pro- program, you know, really looks like heading into and to, to ensure that our students are connecting and engaging at some point within those first 40 days. Yeah, and I think to, to add on that, uh, Dr. Gallo, um, and she touched, Dr. Gallo touched upon, upon this, you know, the, the, the three competencies that we really look at when it comes to our first year students, you know, willpower, self-esteem, accountability. Five years ago, six years ago, myself and Dr. Gallo and some of our team, who I'm incredibly proud of because they really invested in this concept and really 
spent a lot of time to think through how we deliver this and then truly assess it to make sure we were meeting the learning objectives and whatnot. Creating this this platform and this, this, this foundation for how we deliver the transitional program, I thought was critical to our success in that program. I think about those welcome weekends. I think about the, the, the first three, four, five, six days on a campus. We could sit there and throw all sorts of information at our students, how to change a class and this. And, and yes, that's important stuff that we can deliver over the course of the next six weeks, right? Our goal in that first weekend is really to say, are you connecting to somebody? Who are you going to have a meal with on Monday? Who are you going to, do you know where you're going to get to class? And do you understand our expectations of you now as a member of our community and as a college student? Because life as a college student should be a little bit different than life as a high schooler, even though in some areas it's, it's probably not as different as we'd hope. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's and making sure they have that that, that comfort, but also challenge them to step outside their comfort zone because the reality is no real learning takes place in your comfort zone, right? I think we can all agree to that. But we set this foundation of willpower, self-esteem, and accountability, and then we built our entire student affairs curriculum on top of that because we saw the success we were having with our first-year students. And so heading into, I guess, this past year, we really thought very strategically about how do we infuse this in, in the sophomore experience as well as junior, senior, and graduate experiences. And, and we're slowly making a lot of progress in creating this outside-the-classroom experience that really has an impact on them as individuals as opposed to a series of programs and services that, that do make sense, but they may not be all you know, integrated well enough together to have really you know, robust, I guess, or, or big outcome. Well, you read my mind because that was going to be my next question in the sense of uh, the sophomore year. I mean, first of all, let me give you both kudos. I'm love. I'm just taking crazy notes here about because that is such a, an excellent idea to kind of change the name. You said new student transitional program. And so and, and then maybe, you know, people are like, what's that? And so I, I would probably put a colon and say orientation or something just because folks don't know or don't think they need it. But I'm loving the idea. And, and I've seen the model with the one-stop shop piece and but I think where I've seen it where they made sure that at least financial aid financial services was in the gym but they didn't do like you said the housing or the other aspects well and again you know the campus that I worked at had 40,000 folks so we had so many housing places on and off campus so that the actual housing piece has to take place you know in front of the building that you live so that wouldn't work at a large campus but what I like about the one stop is that or that and the first 40 days um, program, I think that really helps with that uh, social integration piece of Tinto's model. But the other piece is I love how where you are really focusing on how to engage your students. But that sophomore year, you know, here's the thing. Freshmen, it, ooh, wee, we're freshmen. Everybody loves you. There's a barbecue every other day. Lots of attention. We love you. We love you. Seniors, hey, you're about to graduate. Good for you. What are you doing? But it's that sophomore and junior year where they become the, I hate to call it, but the stepchild because you're not new and you're not getting out. And so now what do you, so do you guys do something specific for your sophomores? And, and I guess let's include the juniors that be, that have been immersed with everything freshman year and then sophomore year, they're just like, oh, nobody's paying attention to me. What are you doing to, to engage those under engaged students? I feel like we've done 
some good foundational things in that area. I, I feel I still feel like there's there's a place for us to to improve. So we we've started doing things um, kind of like glorified TEDx talks, like our sophomore symposium, our upperclassmen upstarts, where we get them together to talk about critical issues that they may face in the, in that that following year. I think that where we find our, our the greatest success engaging the sophomores and and juniors and even seniors to a certain degree is really in the the, the residence halls and through um, the activities in which we've already seen that they've had taken an interest. I think that the most important thing for a, uh, a student is to, to kind of find the, the one, two, or three different things. Because I, I firmly believe that engagement for a student means something different to every single one of them. It could be just having a work study job. It could be, you know, being the the student student government president. It could be, you know, being a student athlete. I mean, it means something different to everybody based off of you know their time and their interests and and their 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 willingness, I guess, to to step out of their comfort zone. But I think that what we do is we we kind of look at the information that we have. Um, I think that Teresa and her team do a, an incredible job of kind of of kind of mapping out the the experiences that students are engaging in and we and we're moving in a direction of doing more of a co-curricular transcript type concept but more of a like a badging type idea where you know if you've done x y or z here are some skills you should have gotten from that and here's how you continue to practice those things another area that we've really focused on in in, in recent years the past two years we've been focusing on this is the integration of the uh gallup's Clint, uh, clifton strengths tool into our community and we've used it in pockets along the way with student leadership and and, and, and whatnot, but we've integrated that into our, into our, we give it to every first year student. And then in the second year, we try to get them to, to get the one-on-one coaching that's associated with that. And then, then work on their goal setting and how does that look in terms of them, you know, figuring out and, and truly understanding who they are as an individual and move from, a, a, you know, the growth mindset and moving from a position of strength, as opposed to feeling that you have to be everything to everybody, because that's not realistic. And so we want to say, you know, we, we want to work with those students to make sure that they can apply that to, like I said, academics social as well as to their careers because if we're doing our jobs right then we're preparing them for lifelong learning we're going to help them become self-authors and that's you know a model that i know dr gal and i truly subscribe to that you know baxter bagolda's uh theory on self-authorship you know you got to create those crossroads moments for students to to challenge their values their beliefs and what they think they know so that they can become a better version of themselves tomorrow than they are today. So I mean, it's, it, it's kind of touch points along the way in the sophomore and junior years. I feel that that, like I said, you know, earlier, that's an area that that we're really focusing on in in the coming years. But we also know that when we when we look at our, our population here, we, obviously the residential students are kind of an easy population to to program and 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 capture because they're right here. We need to do a better job with our commuter students because you know what we find is our commuter students are commuting for a reason. Whether they're they're working to help pay the bills, or they are you know for families or, or whatnot. So it's it's a matter of us trying to capture those students as well, and and giving them the tools that they need, uh, in in a, in a more integrated uh, uh, methodology as well. Now and that, and, and and also I think when you said the commuter students. Um, and again, these would probably be sophomore and juniors, but what do you guys do for your transfer students? Because again, um, that's usually the stepchildren of the institution. It's like, you know, they treat them as if, you know, oh, they've been to some college, so they, you know, we don't need to do all that. But I always say, but they haven't been to this college. You still have to let them know what's going on here. What are, what are the resources? Do you have specific programs for, for them as well? We do. Yeah. During our welcome weekend, you know, all of our students that are new, so transfers and first years um, are, are coming to the welcome weekend program. And 
we have sessions that are geared specifically to our transfer population because we understand that they've been to college somewhere else. But like you said, they haven't been to this college. And so really talking about what the services that are provided, those offices that are on this campus that, you know, that the naming, you know, sometimes different colleges called things, different things, as we know. Um, and so really kind of going in on that um, and including them also in the first 40 programming. Um, so they're they're very much getting some of the, that same information that our first year students are because we want them to be successful overall. Yeah, we're also looking at uh, learning communities in the residence halls and really enhancing that that process uh, in our own buildings because that's another place that, you know, you can find students who have a like mind per se that you can, you know, kind of create an experience for on a much broader level. So that's one of the areas that we've also been been looking at um, because we just haven't haven't done it on a, a broad scale yet. We've we've done it in pockets again, but it's it's I think a missed opportunity for us at our halls. Absolutely. So it sounds like you have have touch points on every aspect of at least we know for the undergrad. And in the short few minutes that we have left, what would be um, some of your mechanisms for graduate students i know you have a few quite a you know about a thousand yeah we do and i think that you know the, t- the tough part with graduate students is you know their their situations are usually so much different than that of an undergraduate you know we're talking about typically a lot of adult learners um in in that population for us we do a lot of online programs when it relates to you know the graduate programs or online classes rather and so we find that when we partner with our our colleagues in in the career connections office um, and and really kind of speak to I, the 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 reason why some of these individuals are seeking higher education or their graduate degrees, we get a, a much better return on their engagement on our campus. We try, and of course, are always welcome to to our you know our programs and our services on campus and we advertise that to them and we try to do some programs that are family oriented you know at times that where families could actually make it not at you know five o'clock and on a, on a thursday when people are leaving the office but you know at a time where you're know, on a weekend you know when when uh, a graduate student could bring their their families or whatnot to, to campus so we try to be a little strategic about that um, and i know teresa's team has done a good job of really thinking that through yeah absolutely so our um graduate students are invited to attend all of the programming that we've done on campus. Nothing's, you know, told that they can't attend or for any reason. I know some schools have that. We also encourage them to get involved in student organizations. And so we have some student organizations that are specifically for graduate students, whether it's the Graduate Student Association or in different colleges. And so really getting them to find groups um, to connect with, whether by major, by interest, we're seeing some some rise there in comparison to some of our other years. I've been here about seven years, and I think this is, we're starting to see an, up, an uptick in uh, those services to those student organiz- to student organizations of graduate students which is exciting so we're we're starting to make some headway there and I think that's important um, does your institution also have a like graduate student government so we don't but our student government does cover graduate students um, it's not an undergraduate population only um, so you can serve on our student government um, as a graduate student uh, we don't have a specific person that's running you know specifically for graduate students but they are um, 
there are, you know, included in that. And what we do, you know, I advise our student government and we, we try to work very closely with them to see, you know, hey, maybe you should have office hours in the evenings because that's when our graduate students are on campus, you know, or um, maybe a Saturday, Sunday, if, depending on what the programming looks like um, for some of these classes. And so really engaging with them and getting that population to come out, whether it's in the library, in the classrooms, you know, working with those students. And we've had some students uh, serve in the roles on student government, and that was exciting because they were able to connect with more, and we're always encouraging that. Great. Also, um, last question, um, and do you have a specialized um, new student transition or slash orientation program for grad students? Because, again, that's part of that underserved population. So I was going to say, we actually, um, we do, there's uh, two versions of it. One is online, and so we do it through our Canvas course. Our academic affairs is really the one who leads that charge. And so they'll, they'll, they'll put the information up there on a Canvas course and include all of those graduate students to um, go through it. And, and it's got, you know, some, some fun tech stuff there. That they can do quizzes or um, just gather of information. And then our different colleges, we have six different colleges on campus. Uh, each one of them will host their own, um, if, if needed, you know, their own orientation as they go from there. Well, I know I've been taking notes throughout this entire podcast because I'm like, ooh, I'm going to steal that idea. <laughs> That's right. I'm it's not stealing, we're sharing. Yeah, sharing, sharing. <laughs> sharing. Yeah, stealing, stealing is such a powerful word. Yes, right, exactly. Yeah, so I'm going to, no, wait, no, here's the best one. I'm going to use these best practices. That's right. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Everyone say yes, best yes, practices. Yes, best yes. practices, exactly. I'm going to use these and Dr. Bennett, I'll also share with you, you know, so we talked a little bit about some of this stuff and we didn't get far into detail about that smart badging. And uh, so what we're really looking at is um, that smart transcript is going to be connected to our student affairs curriculum, which is also connected to the NACE competencies. And we know that we like NACE competencies because that's that career readiness piece. And so we're looking at infusing that all throughout the four years that there are students here, including, you know, beyond that. Um, but also we have some software that we, we get to use. And so presence is one of those things. I'll tell you that if you haven't heard of them, look them up. That helps a lot, um, especially as we're getting into this rollout phase of the smart transcript this year. We're really excited that that, that was one of the features that they offer. Well, like I said, you, I would say that um, just to our audience, it sounds like this is definitely a best practices location to um, look up because I'm, I'm loving the one stop. Again, a lot of people do it, but some of the mechanisms are missing from that. I love the first 40 days where you're actually where the rest of the campus is concentrating because you'll find that we in student affairs are doing things, but academic affairs may not be doing things. You know, they'll have that deans, maybe deans welcome at the very beginning. And then you don't do anything else with the school until maybe um, the beginning of the next semester because now you're on the dean's list, but there or registration. So I'm I'm loving the idea of integrating everybody on campus in one goal of engaging students, and and so that will capture hopefully that's another way to capture the un, under engaged student. And I'm loving that idea, and I'm I'm definitely going to be um, calling on you just to see some other ideas. But I, I mean, I've been writing so much, I put the mic down and forgot to pick it up. And I mean, because this this is great, this is wonderful, and and this is why we do these podcasts is because we want to hear from our other student affairs practitioners. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Good idea. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
If you found value in what you heard, like I did, please share the podcast with other student affairs um, practitioners. We um, put out a new student affairs. um, We launch a new student affairs uh, podcast every Thursday. I look forward to joining you next time as we share practical tips and slash best practices (laughs) um, as we aid all of our practitioners in their student affairs journey. So thank you so much and have a great day or evening. Thanks for listening to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. If you enjoyed your time with us, tell a friend. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, let us know. If you want to be a guest, tell us your story. Email us at savoices at naspa.org. You can find all our info at naspa.org slash savoices. See you next time. Thank you.